This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, Browns fans. It's Wednesday. It's 7 o'clock. So you guessed it. It's time for OBR Weekly with the legend, Mr. Fred Greedham. I'm Barry McBride. You don't get Brad Ward back. I'm sorry. You're stuck with me. But you got the legend. How's it going, Fred? Just great. Doing great. Had a great week so far. Well, I'm glad that you've had a good week. The Browns have not had a good week so far. Uh, Well, they didn't have a a good Sunday. It was a bad week. Bad week overall for Ohio football. I mean, Uh, even if you throw the Bengals in there, the Bengals, the Browns, and the Bucks. Uh, it, it, it was grim. It was grim. Yeah. I, I, I don't even want to hear about the games from the weekend, man. I, I'm not reading about them. I'm not reading anything about Ohio state right now, but, uh, uh, I'm just, I'm just sort of pretending it doesn't exist, but, uh, we're here to talk Browns despite the 29 to 12 loss that the Browns took against Denver and, uh, hoping for a better outcome this weekend against the Rams. We'll start talking a little bit about the Rams tonight. Uh, We'll talk about some developments uh, out on the West Coast uh, as uh, the Browns are playing with their quarterback situation. Uh, But most importantly, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to you guys. Uh, We're going to answer your questions. Uh, We're going to respond to your comments, um, partially because that's what we do, partially because I don't prepare adequately for these shows. So I need someone to ask intelligent questions uh, so that uh, Fred has something uh, worthwhile to answer. So please fill up the chat room with uh, uh, anything relevant that you want us to talk about, and we will attempt to uh, uh, answer your questions. RJ McCready in the YouTube chat room is already doing just that. He was last seen in U.S. Outpost 31 in Antarctica, Fred, clutching a bottle of booze and wondering if his companion was an alien. Things reference. Great movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Fred, but it's a sci-fi classic. But let's start off with one of one of McCready's uh, questions. And he wants to know, start this show off with a banger. Is uh, Greg Newsom, in your opinion, Fred, worthy of that fifth-year option? Let's start off with that. Let's start off with that one. I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's playing at the level that I was expecting, you know, a first round cornerback to play at. Um, I think MJ Emerson is ahead of him. I don't like some of the, you know, and I guess that's part of the thing. He's not a big physical corner. I don't think he tackles very well. I see him chasing receivers down the field. I see him talking a lot and celebrating a lot, but I don't, I don't know. My, my theory on this is unless you have a better option, you know, you keep the guys you have. I mean, I think that's why Jedrick Wills got the fifth-year option. I think mm-hmm. anybody watching wouldn't say, yeah, that guy's awesome. He's the 10th pick in the draft, even though he was. But you don't just cut bait if you don't have a better replacement. And right now, I don't know what Cameron Mitchell, and unfortunately he got hurt. You know, I don't know if he's going to evolve into a better player, but I would say they likely will pick up the fifth-year option. Um, I know that he was a little upset. If you remember last year when he played the slot and he made kind of a big stink in the offseason that he didn't want to play the slot. And that's mainly because the guys that play on the outside, like Denzel Ward, if they're worthy, get the 20 million plus contracts and the guys in the slot are more of your, you know, about half that. And they had to, I think, assuage him that, oh, you're going to get paid because he went and got the Rosenhaus agent. Right. And you remember he said, oh, no, I don't want to be traded or anything, but I think, 
you know, I think that's what it will come down to. If he's, if he starts, you know, buy you buy time anyway, you know, with, I don't know what the cost for a fifth year option is at cornerback. It's probably pretty steep, but um, I think it's still cheaper than the extension, but I would have to think, yes, they feel like they have one of the best trios in the NFL. So why would you move on, you know, this young in his career? So mm -hmm. I'll, I'm talking a little out of both sides of my mouth, meaning I don't think he's a lockdown corner, but I think he's, he's pretty good. And I don't think you want to just move on, you know, without a better option. Right. Right. Are, are you a little surprised that they put Newsom and not Emerson on Cortland Sutton last Sunday? Uh, Cause Newsom, it wasn't his finest hour. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah. I mean, Portland it's, Sutton. you know, I didn't like, you know, that was one of the biggest problems the other day is the defense has been great on third down. If you remember, it was like third and eight and they threw that bomb and, and the ball wasn't going to be caught and Newsom gets called for pass interference, 34 yard penalty. And then I think it's third and 10 and Sutton, Sutton does a crossing for 31 yards down to the three yard line. I was thinking that was Emerson. I saw it chasing him, but maybe it was Newsom. Either guy, I haven't been, you know, hasn't been the greatest in coverage in my opinion, but mm -hmm. I would have thought the big, the big physical, you know, corner Emerson would have been on Sutton. Not, you know, Newsom would be built more like Denzel Ward as opposed to Emerson. You know, he's big right. and physical and and tougher. So all the way around, you know, I wasn't that pleased that you just saw receivers running open, you know, and that was one of the problems on those first, you know, the defense as a whole in the early part, we've seen that give up those long drives and get, get behind and get in a hole. Then they seem to lock it down. But with this offensive challenge team right now, getting down 14 to nothing on the road with a rookie quarterback is not the game plan. So they got to figure out coming off the bus, being ready to play and not letting the opponent jump out to a quick lead. So you right. almost want to, win the toss and you almost say, Hey, we'll take the ball and go get ahead instead of, you know, if the defense is going to start slow and, and dig a hole like that. So, yeah. yeah it, go ahead. It, it, uh, no, I was just going to, you know, spin it off that. It sure seemed like the Denver coaching staff saw something in the Browns defense that they really wanted to exploit and they went out and they exploited it. Uh, splitting those defensive tackles consistently, it appeared. Now, I'm getting my analysis from Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez, uh, you know, uh, live. So, you know, I may have been misled, but uh, it does seem like, you know, uh, teams are watching the Browns defense on tape and exploiting it early. Is, is, is that the sense that you're getting, Fred? Or do you think that they're just getting off the bus kind of uh, – slow and awkward or something. Well, it's one of the things we were concerned about. You know, you keep saying we're the best defense in the world. We're so awesome. We're number one. Uh -huh. You know, it was good when you were under the radar, but, you know, I, I wasn't really that excited to hear Emerson and Newsom always bragging about how awesome they are. Right. Most of them aren't doing that, but, you know, their psyche, you, you got to show up. These teams, you know, these are – big boys, you know, and these guys are, you know, have that mantra, we're going to show you. And so you got to bring your A game from the start every week. And, you know, like I said, I don't know what they're seeing, but there's something you think the 49ers game, they came, they got the opening kickoff, went like 80, 85 yards for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Browns were able to rebound at Seahawks game. They dug a 14, 17, seven deficit early. Then they rebounded. The other day it was 14 to nothing. Um, and I just think it started with the Broncos stopping the run, you know, that and what I was expecting or wanting to see from the Browns is what the Broncos did. They had Russell Wilson running the ball like he used to do in Seattle 
and he was their leading rusher at halftime. He had he finished with 11 carries. The Browns, Jerome Ford was their leading runner, nine carries. Mm-hmm. So Russell Wilson carried the ball more than the Browns' top running back. And, right. and Ford had a 7.2 average per carry, and he only had nine carries. So I was expecting them to use Dorian Thompson-Robinson more. I, you know, I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know a lot. But it sure seems the kid rushed for 1,800 yards at UCLA. After his week of imitating Lamar Jackson, they, they gave him a game ball, and they said they were so impressed. That was one of the reasons they decided to start him over Walker. Mm-hmm. Um in you know in that game after Watson's injury well what made him go you know being Lamar Jackson and what he did at UCLA he rushed for 1800 yards have him run a run the ball you know Mm -hmm. I think that's a safer route and I'm not talking about right up the gut where he can get hit I'm talking about designed runs to the sideline where he has a tight end, either dump it off for a five, six yard gain or run straight out of bounds and pick up four, five, six yards. He did it the first play. And I think he ran five times um, for 21 yards, picked up a couple first downs, but I would have liked to see a little more of that. You know, it just seems like that's your, that's more of a safe play than having him throw the ball 30 times. You know, if you're trying to protect the ball. So, yeah. Um, don't even remember what the question, but I went, I went where <laughs> I wanted to go. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, we were talking a, a little bit about the cornerbacks, and uh, uh, Fumble 13 asked the question that I wanted to answer to. Uh, I especially wanted it during the game uh, on Sunday is when is Denzel Ward coming back? Do we have any sense of that uh, at this point? No. I mean, obviously I'm not in Los Angeles. The reporters mm-hmm. there were asking if he'd practice this week. Stefanski gave the deep analysis and said, we'll see. Um, <laughs> I did see one of the videos from one of the reporters that showed him in the distance you know, kind of in street, not street clothes, but like sweat pants or something. And I thought I saw him in a sling, um, mm-hmm. which is, it's kind of strange. The Browns seem to have a lot of injuries this year where they're not injured in the game. And then they get checked out a day or two later. And the next thing you know, it's more of a longer term issue. So right. um, I did, I saw one report that it was a labrum injury, Um if it's torn, usually that's a, you know, that's an injury reserve, at least a four game or more. They must have determined that it was less than four games or they wouldn't have, or they'd have put him on injury reserve. So just from his comment, I don't know. Again, if he's not out there tomorrow, I would assume he's not playing against the Rams. He's missed one game. So I would assume that he wouldn't play this week. If he doesn't practice tomorrow, then that's two games. So then you got Jacksonville next week. So I would think that they expect him back by the third week or that that game after after um, Jacksonville. So it, on right. the tenth. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, no, that's the seventeenth, I guess. So. Who knows? I mean, there's no information. The only place that gives less information on injuries is college football, you know, yeah. because they don't have to give out anything. You watch the Buckeyes and you'll see a guy and you forget about him and he, you never see him again. Oh, yeah, he's out for the seat, but they never tell you anything. You know, right. last year, Smith Najigba, I thought was out for a week and he never played again, you know, and they never said anything, you know, and it's like, but at least they have to tell you something. We haven't, right. they haven't sent out the official injury report unless they have, you know, on the, during the show, but still there were seven guys that didn't practice today due to injury and Ward was one of them. He's probably the one I'm most concerned about. Uh, Den, or uh, Miles Garrett, they said was moving his shoulder and jogging, even though he didn't practice. And so 
coach said he expected him to play and he was still optimistic. So I think Ward's kind of the biggest question mark right now. And, right. you know, they got Cooper Cup and Nakua and uh, Browns could Atwell. use them. Yeah. 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 Uh, boy, you know, the Rams are pretty healthy. Um, they've got weapons. They've got Ky- uh, Kyron Williams, uh, the running back. Uh, there's uh, there's some scariness going on uh, this weekend in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, there's some questions in the chat that we'll get to about how the Browns can try to scheme to stop it. Um, while we're on the subject of injuries, uh, another question from our friend in Antarctica about how Mr. Chubb is doing, as well as from uh, our buddy Superfly Rob. Uh, any news on how Chubb, well, Chubb's recovery is doing after the second surgery? Uh, also points out that he's a free agent after next year. If he makes it back healthy next year, do we keep him around? So I assume that what we've heard from Chubb, you know, is that surgery was successful. We expect him back next year at some time and that we have no further details beyond that. Is that correct? Yeah, he hasn't spoken. I mean, he made an appearance at the Steelers game, you know, before the game. They introduced him, and then with seven minutes to go, they put him on the screen from the suite as kind of a rallying point. Um, he is on the trip. He went to Denver, and he's with him out in L.A. So, I'm, to me, that's a positive that he wants to be around. And a lot of times my history of covering the Browns is when a guy goes on injury reserve for the season – they kind of take off and you really never see them again. You know, right. they go back where they're from and do whatever they do rehab and that, but he seems to be wanting to be around and be in the, the facility. The players like Kareem Hunt said, he, they see him every day. And so as far as the free agency, I think you're way ahead of the game. I mean, a lot's going to depend on, you know, how he, how he recovers. I think that if anybody can return, it'd be Nick Chubb, but this is a world-class running back averaged over five yards a carry had Mm -hmm. a devastating two torn ligaments for the second time in his career. You know, you don't know, is he going to make it back? I think he'll make it back on the field, but is he going to be a 3.2 yard per carry back or a 5.2? yard per carry back. And so yeah. I, I don't think the Browns will do him wrong, but I don't know if you can extend him if he's if he's just a average running back, you know, at 29 years old. I mean, so I think there's a lot to be determined, but I wouldn't rule him out. I would think if anybody can come back, you might see I mean if Aaron Rodgers can start practicing already, I mean mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to, to hear that Chubb's way ahead of schedule and he's going to be ready for the beginning of the year. Who knows? I mean, yeah. it's yeah. he'll work his tail off and 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 do everything there, but a lot of that's just going to depend on the you know the healing process and so forth. But I I just don't think you, you're going to talk contract extension right now and try to how do you negotiate with that. Right. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for the Browns. You know, uh, I agree with you completely. The Browns will try to do right by him, but they're not going to do anything that is overtly stupid out of sentimentality uh, in terms of, you know, what they do for him when they come back. They're going to see what kind of running back he is when he is healthy again, and they're going to make decisions based on that. And uh, if they can do right by him, I'm, I'm sure that they will uh, because he's been such a wonderful uh uh, part of this ball club, and he's the type of guy you really want around uh, the locker room. Uh, we've got questions on just a whole ton of different things uh, today, so I want to make sure we get to many as many of them as possible. One of the big controversies coming out of the game on Sunday is a huge disagreement among the fan base. I don't even know if there's that much disagreement. I think 80% of the fans think one way and maybe 20% think another. I think the 80% of the fans think that uh, Stefanski's play calling uh, was uh, overly simplistic, uh, was, uh, was not uh, emphasizing the run nearly enough, given how successful it was. And uh, 20% feel that Stefanski's play calling 
enabled the run to uh, exist later uh, and strategically used the pass against a team that was stacking the box and spying the quarterback and doing all the things you expect them to after watching that Steelers game. You know, Sean Payton and his defensive coordinator aren't dumb. They watched the Steelers tape and they, uh, you know, game planned accordingly. And Stefanski had to loosen them up. That's why he started off passing so much. That's why the run was available later. But uh, I think a lot of people think you impose your will, you run the ball, and if it's not successful at first, sooner or later it will be. Where do you stand on this uh, sort of controversy that's roiling the fan base, Fred? Well, it's, (laughs) you know, it's always going to, be the play call and this and that. I was surprised that they only had 10 yards rushing in the first quarter. You know, when you look statistically, the Broncos were the dead last in the NFL, 160 yards a game um, on rushing defense. And the Browns were third in the NFL and rushing offense. So you think mm-hmm. you could just run it down their throats. As right. you said, those guys are, are pretty smart. And so, you put extra guys up there, that's going to help shut down the run and force the rookie quarterback to throw the ball. They have a good secondary, and I think that was their plan. And so Stefanski took what they had, and that's why he did that. Whether that was the right move, I don't know. But like I said, they got into a 14 to nothing deficit, and that put them behind the eight ball. You know, basically that game was determined – The Broncos went down two long drives, got in the red zone, had two touchdowns. The Browns had two drives, got in the red zone, and got two field goals. So Mm -hmm. it was 14 to 6. Basically, you're playing catch-up the rest of the game. You had a chance to tie it up. We all know what happened after that was he was knocked out right when he was starting to look like he had some pretty good command on the offense because they had got the stop. Or I think they gave up a field goal, but they were still like 17 to 12. And I felt like, okay, DTR now has got his legs under him and they're going to be able to move the ball on this defense running and throwing. But then they put in the turnover machine after his injury and all hope was lost. My biggest play call uh, gripe was, you have a third string running back, you know, and the wide receiver that you're always running those east and west end arounds from your own 41. And, you know, it turned that was a disaster that razzle dazzle, whatever it was. That's when you just keep running the ball. You know, you're you're in field position, you just lost your, you know, quarterback and you got a new guy coming in, and then they do that. So yeah, I mean, you can always question the the play calls here and there, but I think that's what they were thinking is that we got to show them we can pass or they're going to never allow us to run the ball. And and so that's why they did, and they had a little bit of success, but I think they got too far down the in a hole, you know, and then it was kind of catch up. Right. Just some really interesting comments in the chat. I've, I've put some uh... – Put some up here as you were talking, Fred. Just some different thoughts on the on the play calling. Um, I'm not an X's and O's guy, obviously. You know, I never played the game. I don't pretend to know the intricate ins and outs of uh, scheming a defense or an offense. Uh, it just seems to me that Kevin Stefanski uh, uh, is a pretty smart guy. And uh, but you know, when they started off their first series, did DTR throw three times or was it throwing two times and one quarterback scamper to the outside, something along those lines, you know, a three and out left me scratching my head a little bit. And obviously Stefanski saw something about that defense that made him not want to hand the ball off between the tackles. Um, So I, you know, I. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I don't know. I think it's I think it's very easy to question, uh, but the, there may be more to it than a lot of us and uh, Mark Sanchez are able to see. Uh, let's go back to the starred questions that I have sitting there waiting away. Amatora made the note that MJK, Machine Gun, I think that's Machine Gun Kelly, uh, just offered Travis Kelsey 500000 pay for the play for the Browns. I think he makes that off of State Farm commercials. Uh, probably more than that, but uh, E. Gillen follows up, and this is where the question is, Fred. He follows up and say, says, do we have someone to throw him the ball? And that's the relevant question, as R.J. McCready also said, how do we fix wide receiver during the offseason? And the reason I put those three quotes up, Fred, is the Browns have been going through quarterbacks like crazy. They don't look like a very exciting, pass-happy offense. How do you get wide receivers and tight ends, people at that top level, that star level, to sign up with the Browns if we don't show that we can be an effective pass offense, you know, an effective 2023-style, exciting, pinball-machine-type offense for them to play in? I think it's the most frustrating thing of this 2023 season. You were expecting with Deshaun Watson, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but they were going to be a wide open pass happy offense. That's why they paid him the money and gave up what they did to bring him in. And then with the injury, basically, you know, injured from the third week on, you never really had that. And the, that was more of a front office, not having somebody that could step in wouldn't be the same caliber, but at least it wouldn't be, you know, below par. We all know the story that the rookie wasn't ready and he's kind of now acclimating to the game, but um, I've been here long enough to see when the Browns were some one of the worst teams in the NFL, they still were able to get free agents because they, mm. they dumped a lot of money on them. And if it was a guy coming to take his last paycheck or what, whatever money does talk and you do have to overpay. But I do think that around the league receivers know that Deshaun Watson is an elite quarterback has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I know, that's not fans. That's among the players that they want to, they wanted to play here. And, you know, they chose, they traded for Elijah Moore. And again, with Patrick Mahomes, you're seeing some of the complaints that they're receiving core out there, but usually with a top quarterback, you can kind of make receivers look a lot better than maybe, you know, that, they were household names. I mean, a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl at McCall Hardman and Juju Smith Schuster and guys that mm-hmm. were, eh. but because they were playing with the chiefs and Mahomes, they were like, Hey, and then some of them got big contracts as free agents because they had maybe bigger numbers than they would have had playing in a pedestrian offense. But this offense has just been that. And it's a combination I think mainly is the injuries at the quarterback. The Browns quarterback play as a whole, I think is the lowest rated in the NFL. So to to think this team's seven and four with worse quarterbacking than what they had in the injured Baker Mayfield year. And, you know, and you're looking at this and you're just shaking your head because you feel like you had a lot of time. You have a great defense on paper and Mm -hmm. they played well but you feel like you're wasting this season because if you would have got 
decent offensive play, you wouldn't have lost four games. You might have lost two games because right. the offense single-handedly lost you the first Steelers game. And you could say that against the Seahawks too. You know, and even the first Ravens game, they played a big part in that. So, yeah, it, it is frustrating, but I don't think they'll have a problem, you know, especially the best route beside free agency where the Browns are drafting lower is trades. You know, you saw them trade mm -hmm. for Amari Cooper. You saw them trade for Elijah Moore. Now, whether that was the right guy or not, I don't know. But, you know, as far as I do like what I saw with Cedric Tillman, he, he was one of the bright spots on the offense the other day. He caught, I think, four or five passes, went up in, a, in, in uh, traffic, came down with it. And they obviously saw that and wanted to make some room for him when they traded Peoples-Jones. So hopefully we'll see more of him. Maybe he'll emerge. But I do think that they're missing that element. They went out specifically to get Marquise Goodwin because of the speed. And he's he's had one thing or the other the whole time. I mean, it's not his fault that he had blood clots, you know, but he missed all training camp preseason. Then he got concussed, you know, against the Cardinals, and he hasn't played since. So that was your burner that was supposed to stretch the field. Right. And we haven't seen that at all. So we haven't seen the deep game at all, really, because combination, they don't have that guy out there, and they don't have a quarterback consistently that can get the ball down there. We have a question from Fumble. Just a general sense of angst from this question. He says, why do I have this terrible 7-7 seven and seven feeling coming on? You know, I've got a 7-5 and five feeling coming on with this Rams game. The Browns are hit, hit the Broncos at the wrong time, and they seem to be hitting the Rams at the wrong time, too. The Rams have strung off two wins in a row. Looked very convincing against the Cardinals and uh, their starting quarterback, Kyler Murray, uh, last weekend. Uh, what kind of sense do you have about the resiliency of this team, Fred, and their ability to bounce back against the Los Angeles Rams this weekend? Well, yeah, I said this before. I wrote, you know, on the, a couple weeks ago, I think before the Cardinals game, the next five games could really set them up for the stretch run. And I said that if they could, you know, win four out of five, they'd be eight and four, and they would be in tremendous shape. But even if they were seven and five, went three and two, they'd still be in good shape for the stretch. Well, I didn't expect them to beat the Cardinals, Ravens, and Steelers. So they won the first three. So they are at least three and two on this five-game stretch. But they could be four and one with a win over the Rams. I felt at the time splitting those two West Coast games would be good. They still have a chance to do that. But I agree with you. They're catching the Broncos and the Rams, who looked like very winnable games early. You know, the, the Rams are only a couple games or a couple years out of winning the Super Bowl. So they're a pretty good team. And Stafford's a pretty good quarterback. And they got Cooper Cup back. And they got Nakua. And then they have the running back, Kyron Williams. And on defense, they got Aaron Donald. It doesn't bode well for a rookie quarterback or even a guy making his – a 38-year-old making his first start. But with that said, yes – I do think this is kind of like a, a reset out in L.A. this week that they're kind of can put all their focus on this game and they realize that they can put themselves right in the thick of everything with a win this week. Now, whether they do it or not, I don't know. But as I wrote today, regardless, even with a loss this weekend, they still need to find three wins somewhere on the schedule with six games to go Four of the six mm -hmm. games are against teams with losing record. So right. even if you lose today or this Sunday, you come out seven and five, then you come home to Jacksonville, tough team. Then you play the bears at home, three win team. Then you go on the road on Christmas Eve in Houston. I think that will be tough. They have a winning yeah. record, but then you close out with the jets and the Bengals. Most people thought those games would be maybe the toughest on the schedule playing Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow. Right now, 
neither of them have their quarterback. And the Bengals looked pathetic the other day. I mean, they looked like they just gave up. You know, all they yeah. had to do was do a little and they'd beat the Steelers. And yet they got beat. So I cannot see them being that great at the end of the year, being out of the playoffs. And the Jets, I know that they opened the window for Aaron Rodgers. To me, I'm thinking that's just hope and selling tickets and goodwill and all that. They're four and seven. They play, I think, the Falcons, the Texans, and the Dolphins next three games. Mm -hmm. If they lose two of those three, they'd have nine losses. They would be eliminated from the playoffs. You cannot, I, I cannot imagine a team making the playoffs at eight and nine. Why would Aaron Rodgers jeopardize 2024 by coming back to play against the Browns with, you know, maybe he would. But regardless, what I'm saying is you ought to be able to beat the Bears, Jets, Bengals, even if you can't beat the Rams this week and Houston on the road. That gets you to 10 and 7, and that should get mm -hmm. you in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, that gets you in the playoffs. And uh, and I'll say yeah. this. I think yeah. it's important they make the playoffs because I don't okay. think anybody watching here thinks this is a Super Bowl team now. I mean, right. I hate to say it. You get in the playoffs, anything can happen. But I felt that way kind of when Nick Chubb went down in the second quarter of the second game. You don't have Nick Chubb. You don't have now Deshaun Watson. You don't have an all-pro tackle. And who knows? You got a good defense and you got good special teams. But I think they make the playoffs, but I don't think they can win the Super Bowl with this roster. But if you make the playoffs – I think that is a building launching pad for 2024, knowing sure. that, okay, this team was able to win 10, 11 games with this, with all the injuries they had. Look at the, look at the upside going in the next season, you know, right. and these guys that are getting to play now that even makes them better, you know, for 2024. So I think it's important then to just lay down and, you know, you don't have a first round pick anyway. So it's not like the Bengals that they might not care. So they can get another stud player, you know, mm -hmm. to, to go with Joe Burrow. This is a Browns team that I think is, is got a window to win. And like I said, Joe Flacco could, or even DTR could get hot. And they could do something. I don't know. With the defense, you have a chance. But I'm just saying that I think it's still important to go all in these next six games mm -hmm. and find a way to get in the playoffs and not just, oh, just kind of play out the string and hope you win. Pull out right. your stops here and go win this game this week. And then you're, you know, eight and eight and four with mm -hmm. five games to go. And and now you know, you ought to be able to win two of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we got a couple of questions about Joe Flacco. Let's talk a little bit about him. 38-year-old uh, uh, quarterback, lots of uh, experience under his belt, uh, not a lot of recent success. Red Leader 74 says, Fred, how do you feel about Flacco with our line? I know he has the ability to read a defense and a nice deep ball, but – Will he have time to throw? That's the operative question. Uh, Manimal has a similar question. How quickly can Flacco get off his throws? Uh, a lot of concern because uh, not exactly a mobile quarterback at this point in his his career, Fred. Uh, uh, what sort of concern do you have about teams blitzing Flacco and getting to him quickly and uh, uh, just not being a good situation for the Browns in the passing game? Well, you know, it's a valid point. I didn't really follow him a lot last year. All I saw was when the Jets played here, we all saw that collapse 30-17. to 17, But he threw an 84-yard bomb to Corey Davis to get that going. The Browns blew the coverage. And then he threw that touchdown to Garrett Wilson to win the game, 31-30. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was like the only win he had. And then he got benched. You know, after four games, they decided to go with Zach Wilson. But my expectations with Flacco is just to have his experience 
and just be a game manager and not lose the game, you know, know enough to get rid of the ball and not put himself in a position to get strip sacked, you know, like PJ Walker continually does. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got to, you know, his experience should tell him that he can get rid of the ball and do that. And, that's where I'm not looking for him to be the Joe Flacco that was MVP in the Super Bowl. It's more to be, you know, the Trent Dilfer, rely on the running game, short, quick slants or quick dump offs just to keep the chains going. Um, yeah, you're going to have to take a shot from time to time, but um, that's the question that that they're going to have to, you know, evaluate in practices and, and seeing him. But I do think they really want DTR to be the quarterback. They didn't bring Flacco in here to take over, I don't think. Right. I think that they want Dorian Thompson-Robinson to be the quarterback, and I kind of expect him to start on Sunday. I'm hearing things that he's close to being cleared. I don't know how that works. He's young. It's his first one. It doesn't seem to be – they don't seem to be held out as long – you know, and, you know, like Mm -hmm. at the first time, but I don't know that, but to see that he was out walking around at practice has to mean he's closer because like Goodwin, we hadn't seen him at all. I guess he was out on the field as well today, not practicing, but there's, there's this thing where they can practice or start getting going, even though they haven't totally been cleared. I'm kind of thinking that might be him, but with that said, I think that's what they want to do. But if he can't play, then they'll have Flacco. And I think he's the insurance policy that if Thompson Robinson just just continually regresses, then you you turn to him. And that's why I think it was a good move because you know what you got with P.J. Walker. I mean, that's it. I mean, he's turned the ball over, you know, every game he's played. And that's just what he is. This guy's Mm -hmm. 6'6 and has a bigger arm. So I think they would play to those strengths. You know, last year they they divide a game plan around Jacoby Brissett. Flacco would be much closer to Jacoby Brissett than, than Thompson Robinson or Watson. So I think they would have plays that are more built, you know, on a pocket passer. And, right. and the emphasis would be get rid of the ball very quickly. Right, right. Um. I'm just not sure that that would yield a significant difference from the run and short passing game we saw against the Steelers, you know, that they were able to cheat up their safeties and effectively quell. But uh, what can you, you know, do? I mean, at this point, yeah. this you're on your fourth quarterback if he plays. I mean, what can yeah. you do? That's why yeah. I think Thompson Robinson is a much better option roll him out and have him run, you know, Mm -hmm. now I'm hoping they don't, you know, cut back more because of the concussion. It's like, he's got to use his legs. He's got to use his legs to keep the deep. I mean, look what it did to the Browns defense with Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson's like 33 years old. So have Robinson running the ball that would loosen up the secondary and then, have him rolling out, and when they cheat to stop him, that's when you can get deep on the on the receivers. He hasn't right. had a connection with Amari Cooper. They got to get that figured out, and you know. But but seriously, you lost Watson. That was your plan, a plan. Now you're just trying to, you know, get through the sis- season and hopefully figure out, you know, a system that works. And and I just. I saw enough with Thompson Robinson. He's definitely better than PJ Walker. And I don't know what you got with Flacco, but there wasn't many options out there after the trading deadline. You're basically looking at guys on the scrap heap and that's what you got. Yep. Yep. Uh, Well, you, you were talking about concussions a little bit there in that discussion. And that brings me to a uh, comment made by Mick the dog and he asks, anybody but me think the Broncos paid a little dirty in a way, not over the top dirty, but I saw some things that were clearly marginal. 
Uh, I wrote about it this morning in the Newswire because there was an article in the Colorado paper that I took exception to uh, where the writer said that the Broncos hit first and worried about fines from the NFL later, um, keeping in mind that Kareem Jackson, their uh, safety has been suspended several times this year. Gary uh, Sean Payton was the head coach during Downeygate. Certainly what we saw against the Browns, not saying that there's a pattern there, but I'm not saying that there's not a pattern there. Fred, what do you think about the style of play from the Broncos last week? Was this just bruising, hard-nosed football, or uh, was there anything that you took exception to during the course of that game? I don't know. I mean, football's football, and it's not not what I grew up watching. You know, if Joe Turkey Jones did that to a quarterback like he right. did to Terry Bradshaw, he'd probably still be serving a life sentence, you know, somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, the Jack Tatums, you know, those are what the NFL always showed, those hits. You know, they had a highlight right. reel on those headhunters and what they called them. And, you know, Browning clearly, you know, hit hit the young quarterback after he threw the ball. But it's – and I think Locke went up and hit Cooper in the ribs. And, you know, you, you, you think that it has to come somewhere, Peyton. He had Greg Williams. You know, we all know that. Bounty Gate. And Peyton mm-hmm. had to know that was going on. I don't know if, if they're just – I don't think they're encouraging him to play dirty. I just – there's a fine line between tough and physical and imposing your, your will on the other team. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't think they were dirty. I just, I just hate to see, you know, if, if I'm a defensive end and my whole goal in life is to sack the quarterback and I'm running a hundred miles an hour and especially get this, a guy like miles Garrett, who's like 275 pounds can probably run a four five, four, six forties barreling down. And you're asking them, to stop, you know, that's like trying to, you know, even if a freight train sees something in the tracks, they can't stop very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and you're fining them and you're penalizing them, you know, when they hit the court. I don't know how you stop, you know, when that's your whole goal. You can't go in pussyfooting, you know, right. you're never going to get a sack. So it's it's just a, I get why they're trying to protect them all, but. It's it's hard for me to to come down and know exactly what's the intent with the you know with the player you, you know if you see somebody doing something you know in a pile or kicking somebody or tripping them or things like that but the hits that are right there I don't know yeah it's just such a different game than it than it was thirty years ago and it's not because people are weaker or. Uh, you know, that uh, we're trying to put dresses on all the players. That's because we learned about the medical effects of hits to the cranium, right? Causes long-term brain damage. And that's why the NFL got very worried about people, you know, high school parents pulling their kids from the game, you know, not letting their kids play and the long-term damage it could do to the sport. So they started working on equipment. They started working on technique and rules and, whatever to to get away from the long-term health effects of playing football and those are the new rules and there's reasons for those rules well and, and it is uh, it, it does they, it bugs me a little bit to, pardon me it's the popularity of the game that's what drew out you know is that gladiator type mm-hmm. mentality but it's easy to be sitting in the you know on the couch watching it as opposed to being out there and these guys live with that. And so I get all that, but that's why that's football. And, you know, you're going to legislate it and it's going to end up being flag football, you know, really, because these guys know what they're getting into. But I realize when you're 22 and you feel invincible, you're not thinking about when you're my age, you're thinking I'll never get that age. You know, it's, it's (laughs) like way down the road. And then obviously it affects them, but yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough call. I know they want to protect the quarterback. It's there's no right or wrong way to protect them too. You've seen so many teams don't even 
you know, let their guys play in the preseason or hit in training camp, right. and then they, they still get knocked out for the season. I don't know right. how many quarterbacks have been knocked out this year, but there's been a lot of them. A lot right. of backup quarterbacks playing, and you just can't avoid it, unfortunately. Well, the players are getting bigger. They're getting faster. They're getting stronger. That's it. You know, force equals These guys, times acceleration. These defensive ends and linemen are, are running, you know, like I said, they're running like – a guy used to be a cornerback or something, you know, or safety, their speed. And and when you're hitting somebody at that speed and 270, 280 pounds or whatever, it's like, it's literally like a freight train. Right. Right. I want to go to uh, a question from uh, Bert. Uh, Bert is asking me some, some pointed questions in the chat, uh, which I'll try to get to, but he recently answered, asked this question. I've seen this, Asked a number of times. Uh, he says, remember the end around play was called using a practice squad QB, a third string running back, and a wide receiver. Why call this play given the personnel involved? And I think it's a I think it's a very relevant question, Fred, given the way that play turned out, obviously, with the fumble that, you know, uh, effectively, uh, you know, uh, tilted the game in the Broncos' direction. Um do you think, you know, that Stefanski was justified in calling that particular play given the personnel? Uh, or do you think that the personnel um, should have been able to make that play at the NFL level? Well, I already said that earlier. That was my biggest criticism on a play call is that mm -hmm. Like you said, a third string running back, Pierre Strong. Okay, you want to try that with Jerome Ford? You know, okay. I still didn't like it. You're on the 41. You got quarterback just coming in the game cold. You know, get the running game going just straight up. Ford had been successful running the ball. Get something going. Then get a completion or two, short, easy completion. Give Walker a little confidence and, and then go from there. But if you're even if he didn't fumble, they it was like 21 yards behind the line of scrimmage, but it was so right. slow developing that you know if he didn't fumble it, he still would have been tackled probably 20 yards. You know, they'd had second and second and 30 yards. I mean, they were on the 41. You know, it's just like let's go north and south, not east and west. And that's it seems like Kevin gets kind of caught up so many times in these gadget plays. I was kind of railing about the Elijah Moore. I want to see him downfield, not running east and west all the time. And he was the guy involved in that one again. And usually mm -hmm. when he's going east and west, it doesn't go that well. Yeah. Yeah, I have noticed that over the course of the year. I've noticed that over the course of the year. Get him downfield, get him the ball. You can get it to him where you can catch it. Um Interesting point made by Philly as well. He says the only teams that have been able to run or pass on this defense have been mobile QBs that can run uh, zone replays. Uh, and he thinks that they're going to go ahead and rattle Stanford, Stafford, Stanford, Stafford. I saw some stats today that Stafford does not do well when he gets blitzed. Do you uh, look for maybe the Browns to get uh, pretty aggressive against Stafford? Yeah, I think so. And that was what I was going to say earlier, um, is that this defense seems to do better against pocket passers like a Brock Purdy. They they did pretty well against him. Um, the ones that get out and run, you know, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, seem to be give the Browns more trouble. And, mm -hmm. you know, the – I think they're set up with their pass rush and their inside game to as long as they can stop the run and not let those gash plays occur on the inside Kyron Williams, you can you can get after Stafford. He's not he's never been mobile, but he's not as mobile as he used to be. He's gonna be looking real quick to get it to Cup or Nakua. And that's where your press corners, if you can get up right on them, it'd be nice to have Ward because I have more confidence in him than the other two, but um, I think the key again is the pass rush. Hopefully Garrett's able to go and hopefully, you know, Karankwo and Smith can provide, 
you know, some, some more pressure. I think that would be a key that could force turnovers, could, could get some sacks, some field position, maybe a strip sack or something. The Browns mm-hmm. would keep losing the turnover battle and, and they really just need to take the ball away. They got to get some takeaways. You know, they had one the other day. I was very pleased with JOK's play. He was the guy that really stood out. He was all over the field. He had like four tackles for a loss. I think that he's getting more and more confident in this defense. And so if you can get a couple other guys on the pass rush side to step up, that would be, that would bode well this week. Okay. Uh, got a couple of questions left here. Uh, this one I think is key from Amatora. He asks, how do we shut down Kyron Williams this week? How do we prevent him doing to us what he did to the Cardinals and what the Broncos did to us last week? Well, you know, it's, you know, when I look at the season, you know, they opened with Joe Mixon, they shut him down. Then they had Najee Harris and shut him down. Then they had Derrick Henry shut him down. McCaffrey got hurt, but they shut him down. They've done a very good job on the big name running backs. Um, Last week, Javante Williams really didn't hurt him. Um, Kenneth Walker, did a little bit. It's been more of the Keaton Mitchells and the mm-hmm. Jalen Warrens that have hurt them. And in those two games, it seemed like the the Ravens and the Steelers backed off and didn't give them the ball. You know, the guys right. that were, were hurting the Browns, it's the quarterback, you know, and last week was Russell Wilson. That really loosened the Browns up. They got 14 points right off the bat. And that really to me was the game because you know, they got the touchdown after the turnover and they had the safety, you know, and they had, I think they only had one other score, you know, after, after those early touchdowns and Russell Wilson was the key to that. So if they can keep Stafford in there, I don't think he's going to beat you running. You just focus in on the big back and you don't collapse on him, you know, as far as that's what they did early in the season and have done a pretty good job when a team has a marquee back. So I would think they'd have the same approach, you know, this week in putting their attention to shut Williams down. I mean, Jim Schwartz has talked about, he says, when we stop the run, things happen well. And I think it has not always been the running back that's hurt them. It's been the running quarterback or the Steeler game. Jalen Warren had the 75 yard run, but the, the more of the third down type back. Right, right. Guys who get outside and into the secondary, like uh, Warren did, uh, very dangerous um, to the Browns. A um, couple of couple of things here. Uh, Bird asked me a pointed question uh, based on my hypothesis about uh, Stefanski's uh, initial passing. He said Barry Stefanski's pass-first run game game plan was such a good idea. How did the Browns get off? Start the game with a fourteen-point deficit. It's a very valid question. Uh, fourteen point deficit because we couldn't stop the run. I mean, that's why we gave up fourteen points and why it wasn't zero zero. Uh, we, of course, did not advance the ball because uh, we had a quarterback who was struggling to throw it at the beginning of that game. He got into a groove a little bit later on. Uh, but keep in mind, I'm I don't know X's and O's. I'm just hypothesizing that he didn't start off imposing his will running the ball because the uh, uh, the dreaded Broncos were stacked up against it because they'd watched the tape against Pittsburgh. And all we did against Pittsburgh was run the ball and throw short passes so they could cheat the safeties up. That's my theory. I could be wrong. I probably am wrong, but that's my theory as to why the the Brown or the Broncos were the Browns started off throwing the ball against the Broncos. Uh, Fred, on a scale of one one to ten, how full of crap do you think I am? Oh, quite a bit, but <laughs> you know, I won't say that on here. So nobody else hears it, but I think that you're getting too cute. You know, I felt the same way that he said, they're going to, we're the worst run defense in the NFL and they're one of the best rushers. So we're going to, we're going to outsmart them and throw them. I would have still started out with my strength, you know, and run the ball. Like I said, they had 10 yards. They only rushed the ball two or three times in the first quarter. Right. Just go right. If you can't run, 
then you then go to your secondary hypothesis. But to get behind 14 to nothing and then assume that the rookie quarterback's going to be able to, you know, throw his way back into it is not the right thinking. And they were able to dig back from it. The defense settled down. The chink in the armor was the defense let them jump out to a 14 point lead. Mm-hmm. And you have to change on the fly. When it was a seven point lead, you know, you can't let it get further than that. So you you have to put points on the board yourself. You can't, you know, especially after that turnover, they on the second drive, JOK stripped the ball. They were driving again and they got off the field, but the offense couldn't do anything. So yeah, I just think, you know, with what you have, you gotta have a plan, but your backup plan, you could have said, okay. Once they show us they can stop the run, then then we'll go to plan B, which is the passing game that they had designed. But I still would have liked to see them come out and get things going on the ground. And even with them running in the box, you know, there's things mm-hmm. you could have done. Right. Well, thank you, Fred. As usual, you take my hurricane of nonsense and oh, it make wasn't it make that sense. bad. <laughs> Amatora. Last question of the night as we wrap up here. Miles Garrett, various rumors out there. There's an article written today, not from doctors who treated him, but from doctors who hadn't treated him, sort of saying what they think was wrong with him. Uh, What do we actually know, Fred, about Miles' status for the game uh, coming up here? All I know is, you know, he said that he was going to play um, after the game, he told the reporters that, and they saw him, he couldn't get his shirt on. They said today he was moving the shoulder around and, you know, looked night and day different. My theory is, is that it's, you know, I had a shoulder pop out of the socket and went back in. Unless you have surgery, you really never get it corrected because it stretches out the ligaments and the muscles around there. If you can play with, you know, they said there was no structural damage. They kind of said that about Watson too. The difference mm-hmm. is he's a non-quarterback. He's not throwing the ball with that shoulder. So I would think even if he's limited there, they can put a harness on him. He can still go get the quarterback. I think he'll play. If you remember last year, he had that car accident. Um and he missed a game after he injured the shoulder. And I don't know if it's the same injury or not, but he might have to have surgery after the season. But I think he knows that he's in the thick of defensive player of the year. He's driven to play. Um, I think he'll do anything he can to play. He wants to play on the same field as Aaron Donald. He's the guy that's, you know, always the player of the year. So I think he'll play. Um, good indication would be if he's back tomorrow. Now they give him, he usually gets a day of rest on Wednesday anyway. So he didn't practice, but they listed it as his shoulder. But I saw a video. He was out there running sprints on the sideline and he was, he was moving around his, his arms and stuff. So I think he'll play. It's a different, different animal than being a quarterback or even a receiver or even a running back. Sure. You got to use, but you can, there are braces you can put on to hold it from going out if that's the problem. But I think, you know, I expect him to play. The biggest question I have is Denzel Ward. Yeah. I certainly would be a bonus if Ward's able to get out there. Just one final note from Zeke dog in uh, activate department of rumor control. Uh, no, I am not related in any way, shape, or form to anyone who ever had large sums of money, uh, like Mickey McBride, the uh, taxi cab owner who originally owned the Cleveland Browns. And that means that my ancestors are not responsible in any way, shape, or form for selling this team to Art Modell. I don't have that in my DNA. So with that note, we're going to wrap up here. Fred, thank you as always, sir, for your insight and, uh, for putting up with me. It's much appreciated as always. And we will be back here on uh, next Wednesday at 7 p.m. taking your questions and hopefully talking about a Browns victory against the Rams here on OBR Weekly.
For Fred Greetham, I'm Barry McBride. Good night, everyone. Thanks. See ya. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.